This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 109 of the On The Banks Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Very special episode, mid-season review for Rutgers football, and very happy to have Mike Teal, Rutgers great, join us for this episode to break down everything that's happened in the first half of this season, the good, the bad, what to expect moving forward. Shianu's 2.0 tenure so far, some recruiting thoughts, including uh, the news of Wisconsin running back Jalen Berger, who Teal coached at Don Bosco, uh, his dismissal from that program, what that means for his future, potentially is Rutgers part of that. Lots of things to discuss with Mike Teal. Really excited to do that. But first, just wanted to do a couple things. First, starting with the fall sports. Huge weekend once again for Rutgers Field Hockey, which on Tuesday earned its highest ranking in program history. Number three in the latest coaches poll uh, behind two other Big Ten teams, Iowa and Michigan, who are both undefeated. Rutgers number three in the country. Pretty remarkable. Ten and two start. They defeated number four, then number four, Penn State on Friday in Happy Valley. Rachel Houston with the goal. Uh, one nothing win. Gianna Glatz, the All-American goalkeeper, made a season-high eight saves. Really remarkable season for this team. Eight ranked victories, six on the road, three against uh, top 10 teams, two against top five teams. They've really proven that not only are they for real, but they are a legitimate title contender, both in the Big Ten tournament, which, by the way, is at Rutgers between November 4th and 7th, and also the national uh, NCAA tournament. Um, Obviously, Iowa will be the favorite. Uh, Rutgers does play Michigan, not this weekend, but the following weekend. But there's no denying that this team is is for real. They're balanced uh, on both both ends of the field. And I think that they really have a great chance to have their best postseason and cap their best season in program history. As well, women's soccer stays in the top 10 nationally. A bit absurd. They move back from number eight to number nine in this week's coaches poll after their most impressive victory last Wednesday. A 4-1 defeat of then number 16, Michigan. Uh, their first loss in Big Ten play. Rutgers is now the last undefeated team in Big Ten play. 6-0. They've won seven matches in a row. They sit atop the Big Ten standings uh, and really are, are the clear front runner to winning the school's first uh, regular season Big Ten title. Such a balanced attack there. Frankie Tagliafari, Amira Ali, and um, Riley Tiernan all scoring in that match two of them having assists as well. This team is just loaded with talent. Uh, They had three freshmen included in top drawers, top 100 freshmen nationally. uh, It was um, uh, Emily Mason as well as as Riley Tiernan and uh, Cassidy Banks. So this team just, you know, newcomers, veterans um, in between. They're they're very, very deep and they're playing their best soccer really since 2015. Um, this is the most talented team since then. And uh, ever since that, that two-game blip, they've just been incredible. And uh, they're really in great shape uh, heading towards the, the home stretch of their season. Men's soccer has had a bit of a setback. They've lost uh, two games in a row now. They lost a tough one to uh, Penn State and then just lost to Michigan State as well. So they're, they've fallen back to the middle of the pack of the Big Ten. Uh, huge um, stretch coming up for them. And, uh, you know, I think everything is still on the table for Jim McKeldry's team. Obviously, some, uh, 
you know, real positives this year, the way they've played uh, at Maryland, uh, getting a tie and beating Indiana to start the season was really remarkable. Um, but now it's, it's really, uh, you know, the home stretch. They have four games left. They'll take on Northwestern this Friday, followed by Michigan the following week. They still have UConn, which is a good team, and Ohio State. So they have an opportunity to uh, – Michigan's at the top of the conference, but Northwestern and Ohio State are winnable games. They really need to finish strong to keep their postseason hopes alive, and we'll see what happens there. Volleyball has had it run into a tough stretch in Big Ten play. They're 0-6 to start the season. But like we said, you know, they, five have been against ranked foes. So they're not at that level yet. But once they start uh, getting towards the uh, middle to low end, uh, of the, the standings uh, in terms of opponents. Um, I really think that they'll start to knock off some victories and uh, we'll see more progress in year two of head coach Caitlin Schweighoffer's team. In addition to uh, this past weekend's loss at Michigan State, it was obviously homecoming. I uh, did want to recognize that uh, there was a new Hall of Fame class added. Uh, it was actually the 200, uh, 2020 class. There was not a new class because last year was a delayed due to COVID. But of course, headlined by Eric Legrand, uh, Rutgers football legend, Rutgers legend, uh, such a positive influence on so many people across the world for everything that he's done. So well-deserved for him. Essence Carson, one of the best women's basketball players of all time, uh, was inducted. Janelle Filigno Hopkins, who played for the Canadian national soccer team for many years. She was inducted for women's soccer. Alexis Gunzelman for women's gymnastics and James Ford for men's lacrosse. So congratulations to all of them. And if you check out on the banks, we have uh, Legrand's interview with Jonathan Holloway, president of Rutgers in the new Faces and Voices of Rutgers series that debuted last week. Uh, it's a really good interview. And uh, Holloway makes a pretty funny joke about number 52, seeing it in the stadium. That was his college number at Stanford. Uh, so definitely check that out. Before we get going, uh, in terms of talking with Mike Teal about this season, just wanted to recap real quick. Rutgers, obviously a disappointing result against Michigan State, a 31-13 loss. Um, the first half was kind of back and forth. They were in the game for a while. Really, you know, between penalties on the offensive line, six holding penalties overall, four were offensive linemen, two were, uh, one was a tight end, one was wide receiver, but uh, way too many holding penalties there. And then obviously the big plays. Uh, Michigan State scores four touchdowns over 63 yards or more, and they just uh, unfortunately did not have any answer on the defensive side. Jalen Naylor, three touchdown uh, receptions over 60 yards, and then Kenneth Walker. Um, really, both are Heisman candidates now, but that 94-yard touchdown run, they give up almost 600 yards of total offense. Certainly not a good day. The offense struggled as well. I think right now the biggest concern is injuries. I wrote about it earlier this week, but in addition to Bo Mountain, now Aaron Cruikshank, questionable uh, for this week as well with it with an injury. So uh, wide receiver Shameen Jones did step up and have a have a solid game against Michigan State. He'll have to continue that. But really, Northwestern, the key is going to be the run game. Northwestern's uh, last in the Big Ten. They uh, allow over 200 yards rushing per game. Uh, they were absolutely torched by Nebraska. Gave up 56 points and a, a ton of rushing yards. Is, is this the week where Isaiah Pacheco really has that game that we, you know, we're always kind of hoping and expecting from him? I think it could be. Also, Kyle Manangai and uh, even Jameer Wright Collins, Aaron Young, all could have uh, big games this weekend in, against Northwestern. Obviously, the, the offensive line is huge if, if that can happen. Um, they were, had their worst game of the season against Michigan State. So I think that, um, you know, Northwestern is certainly a different uh, defense. Their defense has struggled all year. This is a tremendous opportunity and really the biggest game of the year. I think a huge swing game going into the bye week. 
you win that game, you end the losing streak, obviously against all top 10 foes. There's no shame in that. Um, but losing the game to Northwestern, who's arguably the worst team in the Big Ten right now, would, would really, I think, do a lot of damage to the psyche of this team and the outlook for the rest of the season. Conversely, a win, I think, would send them into the bye week with, a, with just a huge mental positive um, and, a, and a potential to really build on that coming out of it, facing Illinois, which, let's face it, a program Rutgers has struggled with. They've lost four in the last five years against Illinois. So to beat Northwestern would really give them a much-needed momentum going into what will be a big game in Champaign uh, in two weeks. So with that, there's a lot to touch base on in terms of looking back at the first six games, looking ahead at the next six games, and more long-term about Rutgers football under Greg Schiano. And now we'll welcome in Mike Teal. It's my pleasure to now welcome in Rutgers all-time passing leader who led the program to the first three bowl victories in program history, now the color analyst for radio home broadcast for Rutgers football, Mike Teal. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Aaron, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to this. Obviously, we're now in the midway point of the season. Rutgers is 3-3, three and three, swept the non-conference portion of the schedule, just played three top 10 teams in the country. Obviously... Really a, a tale of two two seasons, I'd say, to start things off. What initially are your thoughts in terms of a positive, uh, the way this team has been so far? I think if you look at, you know, the first six games of the year, the key word is, is competitive. You know, Ohio State, I think right now is playing as good of, as they've played all year. I think they're as competitive as any team in the country right now. But if you look at the three non-conference games to start the year, three games that really you're supposed to win, and, and Syracuse, who really knows how good they are, but you go on the road to the Dome. It's never an easy environment, and you win on the road against a Power 5 team, an ACC team, and you go 3-0. and And then you walk into the Big Ten, and you play three top, at the time, three top 15 teams back-to-back-to-back. You know, one on the road and two at home. Um, you know, from a, a fan perspective or as we sit where we sit right now, probably expected and anticipated of, of where they are right now. I know if you listen to Coach Chiano and you talk to the guys down there, listen, they, they expect to win every football game that they play, as they should. If you don't expect to win every game in that position, then you really shouldn't be there. And they do expect to win. And I think they play a Michigan team on the road. Um, they have it late in the fourth quarter with the chance to win the game. Uh, you can't really ask for much more compared to how it's been the last couple of years. Uh, you come home and you play an Ohio State team that all of a sudden starts to click. And they did the same thing again last week against Maryland. And you kind of get hit by a buzzsaw. And then you come back on homecoming and you play a Michigan State team who is a top 15 team in the country, has you know skilled players on the offensive side of the ball that are as good as any you know any team in the country. And you play them tough in the first half and you make some mistakes and you have some penalties and the game just kind of gets away from me a little bit. But again, still competitive for the most part. You know, throughout the score, I don't think is really indicative into how the game actually played. So from, you know, the seat that we sit in, I think it's exactly kind of where you expect them to be. You know, maybe Michigan State game, if they play well, you have a chance to pull out a win and, and go four and two instead of three and three. But they've put themselves in position now to get into the second half of the season with some winnable games to, to find themselves ball eligible at the end of the year. With their psyche right now, obviously coming off three really tough losses against three of the best teams in the country. Now you go to Northwestern. It's a winnable game. You're also dealing with injuries. Uh, we know that Bo Melton, uh, Aaron Crookshank, you know, they're questionable. Uh, they've had some issues on the offensive line. Raekwon O'Neal, uh, obviously Reggie Sutton's out for the year already. 
from a player mentality, you know, how concerned, I guess, should we be in terms of the, their mindset? You know, is going on the road almost a better thing at this point after having two tough home losses? And let us in a little bit on what you think just is going through their heads and, and how the coaching staff is looking to prepare them for this really, you know, a game that could define their season in a way. Uh, from the coaching staff perspective, injuries are something that you always think about, but you can never really react until they actually happen, right? You never know who, who might get hurt and who doesn't get hurt. And unfortunately, it's a part of the, the game of football. It didn't happen much last year. And for whatever reason, the last couple of weeks, again, maybe playing the competition that we've played, they're beat up a little bit. Uh, I think what now the next step in the development of the program is, is you continue to, to develop depth throughout the, the program and throughout the offensive line and, and the skill positions. And now you have an opportunity for some of these younger players who've played a little bit to really step up and, and be contributing factors or, or really players who you don't mention, meaning that an offensive lineman, you don't say his name, he probably did a good job. If you're saying an offensive lineman's name, but probably not a good thing. So you have that next step in the development of the program. Um, and that leads to going on the road this week. Uh, kind of down down a couple guys but going into an environment where uh i haven't seen a spread yet but they're probably a favor if not a favor you know it's, it's a it's a tight line and, and really a team in northwestern that is sort of trying to figure out who they are who they are at the quarterback position um i really anticipate ruckers to be able to in a sense dominate or really physically impose themselves on the offensive defensive lines. Again, we just talked about it. I know Chris Carlin put up a, a picture on social media just the other day. I think 18 and one is the record for the last three teams that they've played over the, the first half of the season, the next half of the season, 17 and 17. So you're kind of coming back a little bit to reality, which is a good thing for Rutgers right now. because They've just played, you know, three top 10 teams in the country. So they have an opportunity to go into, you know, a Big Ten um, road game and have a chance to win on the road. And really, like you said, Aaron, I think if they can do that, that just sets the tone for the rest of the season because these young guys start to develop some confidence, start to figure out what it takes to win at college at the college level. Um, and from there, they can go. And I know Coach Yano has said this in the past. It's so hard and the margin is so small to win at this level, um, especially in this league. So if they can do that a little bit, get some momentum and get some confidence going forward, it's just going to continue to help them as they go throughout the rest of the year. How important is it as a player to win going into that bye week? Uh, how does it kind of just, you know, change the mentality versus going in, you know, they, potentially with a four game losing streak, you know, aside from the implications of winning your first Big Ten game? Um, how important is it from that aspect? I don't think the bye week is as important as it is, like you just said, the three or four game losing streak. If you go four in a row, it starts to get tough. Like it just wears on you because you walk around campus as a college kid and there was a lot of momentum going into the season. You go three and oh, and then you lose four straight. And, and it just starts to kind of, it starts to hit you from all different angles. And, and as a 18 to 22 year old kid, it just starts to wear you down. I think more than anything, uh, it's important to get this game right now. And then after that, you worry about the bye week, you worry about getting a little healthy and you worry about, you know, finishing off the season. And they do a very good job down there. As when I was a player there, Cochiano and the staff did it. It's, it's really a one game season. You know, they're trying to be one and oh this week. And just coincidentally, this is probably the most important game and important week that they've had in a long time. Right the ship, get back on the winning side, 
get a chance to get yourself healthy, get some of your guys back, hopefully. And then, you you know, you kind of buckle down for the rest of the year. But this year, or excuse me, this game is as important as they've had in a long time, in my opinion. And just to confirm, the line did open as a pick em, And right now, the betting action we're talking on Tuesday night, Rutgers is right now listed as a two-point favorite. So, uh, obviously, uh, uh, rare to see them a road favorite. Uh, hopefully, they'll be able to handle that part of it. Uh, just wanted to talk, get your take on the offense. Um, obviously, quarterback play. Noah Vedrill, you know, he's, he's had some, some good moments this season. He's had some, some downplay as well. How do you assess his play so far midway through the season? And, and what are some of the factors that maybe, have, you know, it, it seems like, you know, he's a, he's a tough kid. He plays hard. And he's had some things go against him a little bit with the offensive line. And for me, he's the type of quarterback that if he had more kind of everything working around him, it really would elevate his game versus having to necessarily carry the offense. What's your take on, on how he's played? I think that the quarterback position is unique, um, especially having played it. There's very few players, and, and I consider myself not in that group when I was a player myself, that are elite. You know, the elite guys, I'm talking, you know, if you're talking about NFL quarterbacks and Tom Brady's and the Peyton Manning's and the Drew Brees's, you know, there's very few elite quarterbacks, especially in the college world, that don't need the rest of the roster to, to support them to just be great. And 95% of the quarterbacks in college football need to have the surrounding pieces, an offensive line, a run game, you know, receivers. And not to say that he doesn't, but, if, you know, th- there's been injuries on the offensive line. There's been injuries in, in their, his receiving group, um, you know, and it's made, it's made it tough for, for both him and the running back group to kind of get going. I think Noah's done a good job of taking care of the football for the most part, um, of managing the games. Um, listen, is, is he a Heisman candidate? No. But is he a player that can that can be competitive and win at the Big Ten level? He's proven that. And from all accounts, everything you read that coach talks about him, everything you read about him as a player and as a teammate, he's the optimal leader. So as a quarterback, you want a player who can lead the team, who believes in, you know, who has a team to believe in him. And then ultimately a guy can go out and make plays and, and do it when it counts. And I think he's done all that. You know, I think the challenge is, is, you know, from a roster perspective, you know, you're beat up on the offensive line, you're, you're out your number one receiver in Bow Mountain. Um, and it's a challenge for some of these younger guys to, to step up and play right away because of the, the competition and the level that you're playing in the Big Ten. Um, so everything that, that Noah has been asked for him to do, he's, he's done. Um, I think the challenge and, and really his personal challenge, and I'm sure Sean Gleason's talking to him about it, and I'm sure Coach Giano's talking to him about it, is now he needs to elevate his game even more. Um, and he needs to find ways to, to help the team, uh, in a sense, make up for some of these injuries where, where there's key guys out there. And you look to the quarterback position to be able to do that, and that's the challenge that he has ahead of him. And that's, I think, what we're all looking forward to, you know, watching him have this opportunity to take advantage of that. So just based on your own experience, you know, as a freshman, you know, you actually with Ryan Hart, two of the most accomplished quarterbacks in Rutgers history. But, you know, you did uh, um, end up starting a few games your freshman year uh, and went back and forth with, with Hart. Um, just in terms of, I guess, you know, I guess predictably now after three losses, you know, there's some chatter about this Colt, should Cole Snyder get some more opportunities after looking um, pretty good in some end of uh, end of game chances. Um, obviously, Gavin Wimsett, the highest uh, um, ranked recruit in, in program history, is here. Um, what are your thoughts on um, the, the benefit of potentially 
you know, giving someone else an opportunity if um, Vedral struggles continue, um, or like you said, with all of the kind of uh, restraints or challenges around the quarterback position and what they deal with, is that almost unfair to, uh, to uh, you know, potentially throw someone else in there in that situation? Yeah, so let me start with, with Gavin. So I, I know the fan base and, and Rutgers Nation and everyone that knows anything about Rutgers football knows that this phenom, this kid is on campus, right? He, he's a kid. That's exactly what he is. I, I've been down to practice a couple of times, and he is extremely talented. And is he the quarterback of the future? Probably, you know, and I could say that pretty confidently. Um, when? Who knows? Um, but is he a guy who's going to win a lot of football games as a Rutgers quarterback? I really do believe that. But the problem is he is a, an 18-year-old kid who just came from high school, and he is nowhere near ready to be able to operate at that level in the Big Ten football conference to be able to go out and, and win Rutgers a football game. On the flip side now, the, coaching's, the coaching staff's job is to put the best player out there that's going to give them a chance to win the game. And – they are with these quarterbacks day in and day out, um, and they evaluate every rep that's taken, um, every meeting that, that they're in, there's always evaluation. And you, you understand and you trust that these coaches are going to put the player in position that they feel gives them the best chance to win the game. You know, Cole Snyder has done some really good things in, in the late parts of games the last two weeks. And, you know, unfortunately, the score hasn't really given them a chance to get him in where it's a competitive game um, and, and things get very simple at the end of games. And it sometimes makes younger players look better or more prepared than they necessarily might be because the simplicity at the end of the game. Um, but if you look at Noah Ver Ver Vedral and you look at the, you know, roster for uh, of Rutgers right now. Noah has done everything that you've wanted him to do as a as a starting quarterback. Um, there's been some issues as far as health uh, on the roster, on the offensive line, in the in the receiving group, um, and they haven't had an opportunity to really get a full healthy group out there that's been consistent. There's been shuffling around the offensive line. Um, there's been you know some receivers that have had to play that that haven't played a lot of football in the past and. There's a lot of factors that go into the quarterback position being successful. And I think that, you know, as, as guys start to get healthy, um, and we just spoke about it a little bit ago, as we get through the bye week, I think you start to see some guys come back. And I think you'll start to see Noah Vedro play, you know, better than he had. And he's not really going to play much better. He's just going to have some more play playmakers around him that are going to make him look like he's playing better than he has been the last couple of weeks. So obviously all the, the issues we know about with the offense, um, you know, still, despite the competition, you know, 13 points, three straight uh, Big Ten games in a row. They scored 17 against Syracuse. You know, what, what are your thoughts on, on Sean Gleason uh, as offensive coordinator and the job he's done this year? Obviously last year, um, you know, off the charts in terms of, of where they've been in Big Ten play, uh, you know, night and day, uh, so much better. Uh, obviously a little bit of a regression this year. How concerned uh, should fans be long-term this season, or is it really a product of the competition? And now, you know, this presents a great opportunity these next couple of games to kind of right uh, that ship and, and kind of develop a flow, I guess, offensively. Yeah, I think it's unfair to, uh, to really judge anyone over the course of the season. I think you need to look at it, you know, holistically from the big picture and, and really see where they are. 
I, I think he did a lot of really good things last year, which set an expectation for a lot of people and an anticipation that we're going to continue to build off of where they were last year. But the reality of it is in college football, you get a whole new group of players each year. You know, you have some guys that carry over and you have some depth that, you know, plays from year to year, but, but seniors graduate and freshmen come in and, and guys take over new positions. And I think a part of it is a product of the last three weeks um, playing three of the top 10 teams in the country, top, I think it's top 11 teams in the country, maybe. Um, so that, that has something to do with it. No question about it. Um, but I do think if you watch the Michigan state game, for example, there's some really good rhythm from a play calling standpoint that is starting to be developed from, from Sean Gleason. The issue is holding penalties, drop balls, bad mistakes, you know, stuff that isn't necessarily, you know, involved with the play calling when you're a play caller and, and it's first and 20 or it's second and 15, it's tough to play behind the sticks, but you saw some, some series against Michigan state where they had some rhythm, where they were mixing in run and pass. They were getting to the edge on the perimeter. They were able to run the ball a little North and South and they were setting up a play action. That's, that's the things, or those are the things that I think that you, that you expect from, from Sean Gleason's offense. I, I think again, injuries, um, still not really settling into the identity of, of really who they are or what they are. has been a little bit of an issue, but I think that stems from injuries. You know, I think this week is an important week for them to really, you know, for the rest of the year, they're halfway through the year, but they haven't really gotten in much of a rhythm offensively is to set the tone of, of who they are, what they want to do, how they want to do it, and then build off of that. And I think you saw that last year. And I really think this week against Northwestern on the road, they have an opportunity to kind of set that metric and move forward. Talking about the defense, uh, that second half against Michigan was one of the more memorable and impressive performances in, in, in years, really. Uh, and now they come back and they, they had two pretty rough games at home, obviously against, uh, you know, one elite offense and one with, you know, two Heisman candidates now uh, with Michigan State. How, how important is it for their confidence to, to get back on track at Northwestern? And is it the type of thing now you're playing an offense that isn't very explosive that, uh, you know, they have the opportunity to right the ship in terms of eliminating those big plays that really hurt them so much the last two weeks? Yeah, listen, I think anytime you're, you're playing really good teams and, and you kind of get burnt a little bit, the, the easiest or the quickest way to correct that is get back to basics, get back to fundamentals. Now, I've heard Coach Yano talk about it, get back to tackling, get back to lining up and playing fast. And, you know, again, the last two weeks, Ohio State, you know, when they came into Rutgers, they, they played as, compl as a complete game as they played all year. And they did the same thing the following week against Maryland where they scored 66 points. Um, then the following week, Rockers lines up and, and they're playing a Heisman candidate running back. And they have two receivers, you know, who, who are legit big time, you know, prospects in the NFL, one of which who, who had over 200 yards in the first half. Uh, if you take away the four big plays, which, again, it's easier said than done, but take away four big plays against Michigan State, you know, they have no points on the board. They let up a, a 64 65, 63, and, and a 95-yard touchdown. If you can eliminate the big play uh, and really just line up the play again, you have a chance. And I think that's probably the focus right now. Get guys on the ground. Make teams drive the field. When, when you start to give up big plays, whether it's against Ohio State or whether it's against Michigan State, you give up big plays, it's going to be hard to really control the tempo of the game because the game gets out of hand so quickly with some of these talented teams that you're playing against. So you're really for the, the rest of the year going forward, it's 
It's make teams drive the field. You know, teams are going to get chunk plays, you know, meaning a, a 15 yard plus run or a 20 yard plus pass. It's going to happen. It's college football, really good athletes, but get them on the ground, make them line up again, and, and then make them drive the field. And that's when teams will start to make mistakes. You get yourself in trouble when you're lining up a 65 yard run or a 65 yard pass or a 95 yard run. That, that's the stuff that has to be eliminated. And I guarantee you they're focusing on that this week. Shifting gears a little bit, when you came to Rutgers uh, to play for, for Coach Ciano, uh, you know, Rutgers had not been to a bowl game other than, you know, the one uh, Garden State Bowl in 1976. They hadn't won a bowl game yet. They hadn't been a winning program. Uh, you were one of uh, several key New Jersey recruits that decided to come to Rutgers. Uh, you know, obviously that paid off for you and for the program. Uh, how critical is it right now recruiting-wise? Obviously the uh, 2022 class is, is – you know, in really good shape uh, national rankings wise, but how concerned should uh, people be just in terms of if the losing continues this year, even though expectations were, uh, you know, not too high, but uh, just in terms of New Jersey kids taking a chance on this program uh, a second time with, with Coach Ciano, how do you think that the staff has done overall? And um, how do you think, how important is, I guess, the rest of the season to continuing to build on the recruiting trail? So I'll start with, with the first piece of it. How, how have they done overall? I think they've knocked it out of the park. Um, I, I think that they, they've shown that they're able to recruit and keep Jersey kids home, and they're able to recruit at a high level just based on the national rankings of, of the class that they have right now. Um, I, I think the only way you continue to grow and you build and bring better players in is you, is you win games and you show – the blueprint for how you do it. I think the advantage that Coach Yano has this time around compared to when when myself and, and my former teammates were coming out was the first time around, it was all on a vision. It had never been done before. It was a belief in the program. It was a belief in New Jersey. It was a belief in Coach Chiano. And, and when he spoke to you about it, you, you really did believe it and you thought what he said was going to happen, but they would never, there were no actions that had actually accomplished that before. Now, as coaches talking to different recruits and, and different high school kids, he has, you know, a case study that it's happened in the past. This is how we did it with players like X, Y, and Z that are player one, two, three in the state of New Jersey staying home. If you guys stay home, we can do that. Um, so I think it's a little easier in that sense. On the flip side, the challenge is, and, and don't get me wrong, the Big East, when I played, was as competitive as a football conference you can get at that point in time. But we were playing Louisville and Cincinnati and West Virginia and Pittsburgh. It's a little different than playing Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State. And that's just on the east side of the division. So you're recruiting against a different school. But you also have facilities, you have funding, you have a lot of other things that we might not necessarily had back then. And then you also have the track record that Greg Schiano has done this at Rutgers in the past. And, and in a sense, you get to kind of be a part of that uh, resurrection in the Big Ten. And, and the players that come here and stay at Rutgers and really reload this thing and get this thing going the right way again, they'll be remembered just like the players that I played with. Uh, and there's no question about that. So did want to ask you a bit surprising news out of the big 10 on Sunday, uh, Wisconsin running back Jalen Berger was dismissed from the program. Uh, obviously you're very familiar with him. You coached him at Don Bosco. 
uh, during his high school career, was a four-star recruit, uh, had a great freshman year, uh, lost his starting job this year. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on that situation. And then obviously the, the million-dollar question that Rutgers fans are wondering, you know, uh, the, the possibility of him ending up at Rutgers. Yeah, the, the situation out there, I, I, you and me, we have no idea. Uh, they've been very closed-lipped about it. I've tried to read some articles and, and find out about it. And more than anything, uh, I know Jalen Berger very well. I coached him for three years. Um, I, I recruited him, and that's, you can't really say that term, but it, but I was part of him coming to Don Bosco when, when he came to Don Bosco. And uh, I know his mother and his father, his brother. I know the family very well. He comes from a great family. Um, he, he's as good as a kid I've ever, I've ever been around before. Um, I was as shocked as anyone else when, when I read dismissed from the program, uh, you see a lot of kids nowadays that, you know, kind of lose a job and then start to try to figure out what's next. And they kind of go through the year and they get in the transfer portal and they go on. Um, my biggest question is the dismissal piece. I, what happened? I, I don't know. And hopefully it comes out at some point, who knows if it'll ever come out. Um, but knowing the kid and knowing the family, there was nothing on the field football related uh, or off the field, really, for that matter, that would have led to that. I think, you know, situationally, the the, the portal has become the, the transfer portal has become sort of free agency football. And I think that um, players have an expectation that might not necessarily be realistic to what the coaches see. And, and maybe that was part of it. I really don't know. I would love to find out. Um, but as you move forward and you get away from that, you know, is Jalen Berger someone that Greg Shiano is going to, you know, explore and go after? Absolutely. I don't think there's any question about that. You know, Coach Ciano has been in this position before with kids who have left New Jersey who want to come back. And that's not even saying that Jalen wants to come back, but just being, you know, a kid who leaves the state and has an opportunity to, to go somewhere else and, and come back to New Jersey. I think he'll do his due diligence. He'll speak with um, the people that he needs to speak with, uh, meaning Coach Ciano. He'll, he'll have conversations with Jalen and, and Jalen's family, I'm sure. But if I'm a fan or if I'm sitting where we sit right now to bring a four-star recruit back that had every offer in the country, you know, I think it's a no-brainer. And the reason why is you bring them back and, and you have a short leash and you say, this is how we do things. And this is, we're going how, you know, going forward, this is how we're going to do it. And I have every anticipation that he will buy in and do everything that he's supposed to do. If he doesn't, then shame on him and, and it probably won't be a great fit. But if he does, I think he's got an opportunity in front of him to really contribute to the team for, for the next couple of years and, and really, in his world, resurrect himself and have another chance or another opportunity to prove to people that he is that four-star player that he was recruited out of high school to be and, uh, and have an opportunity to, to play at a really high level in college football. So just a couple more for you, Mike. Wanted to ask, obviously, you and uh, many of your teammates were extremely supportive and vocal uh, in wanting Coach Shiano to come back the second time. Um, just in terms of, of where we're at right now, midway through the second year, uh, everything we've talked about on the field, recruiting-wise, I guess, how do you assess his uh, second tenure so far? Uh, what is, I guess, uh, maybe, uh, do you think that he's benefited from uh, the time away, and, and how is he, I guess, the same? And is he different at all in his second uh, tenure here? And I guess overall, 
how excited are you for the future and what he is building a second time at Rutgers? Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of different questions there. The, the first one, I think, um, you know, is he a different coach and, and a different person than he was the first time? 100%. I had a chance to really connect with him again when he was the defense coordinator at Ohio State. And I was the head coach at San Bosco. And you could just listen to him talk and you could tell that he has grown and matured as a coach, as a mentor, as a person. Um, some of the things that when he was a 35-year-old head coach at, at Rutgers the first time around, compared to when he was a 45-year-old defensive coordinator at, at Ohio State. And I don't know how old he was, just, you know, to give you, a, you know, a reference. But the man has developed and changed and, and really grown with kind of the, the times of, of what it is and, and what college football is, the recruiting world, the NIL world, just everything that has to do with it. I think he's grown and matured and, and really um, – transitioned his mindset and thought process to to be relative to to what the recruiting world is right now and to what the um to what the the college football landscape is you know him being back i think it's a no-brainer for myself and and the teammates that i've played with and the people of new jersey that that saw it the first time around and really saw what a debacle the program has kind of become over the past five years um you know you think about it and the expectations that he set after one year and really a COVID year are, are outrageous you know we in the last four or five years and i don't know the exact time frame but we've been one of the worst teams in college football um offensively defensively special teams you know record and, and for him to come in win three games in the first year uh, you know of a COVID season without having spring ball without having you know a normal training camp and everything else I don't even know if the season was going to go on uh, it's pretty remarkable and, and it kind of just reminds you of what New Jersey people are right you play three games in a COVID year and all of a sudden the expectation is to win 10 right and that's that's what it is you know that that's how people are here and that's that's what he thrives on. That's what he understands. And that's what I think, if you're not from here, I don't think you really understand that that's how it is. Uh, we're we're a, a pro sports market that has a, an opportunity to be a great college football market when we're good. And that's just how the people are. And it's frustrating to me at times having been a player here, but I see it from the flip side now as a, as a media person or as a, as a fan. You have to win to draw crowds. You have to win to draw articles and front page paper clippings and stuff like that because there is so much other stuff going on and and i get it and i didn't necessarily get it when i was a player but i think if anyone can can write the ship and and really get it going to where we're competitive year in and year out in the big 10 football conference i think it's greg shiano i think he's proven that over you know 18 months 24 months of you know rebuilding a program it doesn't happen overnight and it's not going to happen overnight but just the fact that there's an expectation, you know, as three top 10 teams in the country come into town or you play three top 10 teams in the country on your schedule, there's an expectation, which there hasn't been in five years, which is awesome. So wanted to end just uh, obviously this is your first season uh, calling uh, football games for Rutgers uh, with uh, Chris Carlin, Eric Legrand uh, for all the home games. Uh, Julian Penix Adric is doing the, the road games. Um, you know, I, I have two young kids, so I, I I'm pretty much home for the games and uh, I always put on the radio uh, over the TV broadcast. Uh, and I've just been really impressed with, with how you've um, been able to come in right away. And uh, I love your insight during the games and your chemistry with Carlin and Legrand. What has the experience been like for you to be connected again 
you know, so uh, directly with Rutgers and um, what's the experience been like for you so far? Yeah, I mean, two parts to that question. The first part is the connection back to the program. I know more about the players on the team right now than I probably have since I was a player there. And that doesn't mean that I didn't follow the team um, and I didn't go to the games. But now there's a vested interest to watch film and study about players and learn about players' backgrounds. And I think to me, that's the most fun part is there, there's a vested interest to be involved and understand players' backgrounds and, and stats and, and everything that goes into getting ready for a game day. Because when you're broadcasting a game, you need to know that stuff. The second part is working with Chris and Eric has, has been awesome. I um, won't lie, the first game or two was a little bit of a challenge trying to figure it out. You know, one, never doing it before. Two, um, being in a three-man box where you're – you're trying not to talk over each other and, and you're kind of trying to communicate to, to each other when to speak, when not to speak. It's like anything else, you know, and I relate it to playing quarterback. When you get in a really good rhythm, it just flows. You know, the, the passes are there, the footwork's there, the decisions are there. It's the same thing as when you're doing this. You know, Chris does a great job of leading Eric and I, and then Eric and I feed off of each other and, and we get in a rhythm and Chris is in rhythm with us. And, and it's a lot of fun and, and I really enjoy it. And, you know, it was something that was kind of unexpected and, and hopefully I have an opportunity to continue to do it because uh, I do enjoy it. And, and, you know, I've listened to the Tony Romos and the Phil Sims and the Jim Nance and the Curb Streets and, you know, just listen to how they talk about, the, you know, games on TV. I've tried to simulate that a little bit and try to bring my knowledge of the game in a in a dummy down version that's, you know, understandable in regular English, not in football talk. And I've tried to explain it, you know, how I see it through my eyes to, to the average fan. And I think it's gone well so far and, and hopefully it continues to, to go well. Mike Teal, Rutgers all-time passing leader, one of the best and most important players in program history. Mike, really appreciate all your great insight. It was great to talk to you. Thank you so much. It was a blast. Uh, hopefully I get the opportunity to do it with you again. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much again to Mike Teal for joining us. It was a real pleasure to have him on the podcast and his uh, tremendous insight on the program, obviously his experience playing for Greg Schiano those many years ago and being a prominent figure in program history and elevating Rutgers football the way he did, leading them to three bowl victories from 2006 to 2008. Now that he's uh, back with the program as, as a radio analyst, really, really appreciate all of his time and his great insight on where the program is and where they're headed. So with that, lots, uh, lots to um, look forward to this weekend with many Rutgers sports in action. Obviously, this huge football game for Rutgers. We'll be back next week to recap it and to talk more. Thanks again for listening here at On The Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.